Salberry, Tim Parrish, and Jim Howard. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and with me today is Tim Parrish and Jim Howard. So we're going to have the three of us coming at you today for this podcast. So, guys, how we doing? Woo! <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. He's doing way better than I am. Can you apparently. articulate that in, in, in the English language, please? Uh, uh, that, that, that was sarcasm for what is happening to this hobby. Okay, but you know what? At the same time, you're a Hurricanes fan. I am. You're a Hurricane season ticket holder. You so for generously... Now. For now. You so generously took me to a couple of Canes games a couple months ago. I got to drink from that well and see how much fun it is to go to an NHL team that isn't pretentious and full of itself, <coughs> Blackhawks. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on our podcast was because I wanted to talk about the Wolves, the Chicago Wolves, the AHL team, and the Carolina Hurricanes breaking up, because breaking up is hard to do. We're also going to talk about 21-22 Allure hockey cards. Both you gents were fans of Allure in seasons past. I busted a box of it yesterday. I, I have thoughts. And we'll talk about some other stuff. We'll talk about the Bruins. We'll talk about Upper Deck's new Evolution NFTs, or we'll talk very little about that because they said very little about it, and actually their official press release is Wednesday. By the time you hear this, it'll have already come out. But as of right now, we don't know much about it. All right, well, what do you guys want to start with? Uh, well, since you wanted to start with, it sounded like you wanted to start with the, the Wolves and the, the Hurricanes uh, breakup. Uh, if as, as many people have may have noticed in the news, maybe they follow, maybe they don't with hockey. That's not necessarily their brand. Uh, the Chicago Wolves decided that they were just going to go it alone and not be associated with an NHL franchise. They'll be the first team in 11 years to do this. Is that correct? So all the articles that I've read have said since the 94, 95 season, but I cannot figure out what the last independent AHL team was. Cause I was looking at hockey DB and I'm like, Nope, the Cape Breton Oilers were obviously affiliated with the Oilers and the Frederiction Canadians were affiliated with the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm like, just like going down the list, like Prince Edward Island senators are affiliated with the senators. So I couldn't figure out which team was the last AHL team to not be affiliated. And I'm wondering if all of these sources are getting their facts wrong because there were a lot of independent IHL teams in the 90s. I can name a half dozen of them, but AHL teams, maybe if one of our listeners knows. I'll check the live chat on the Patreon page and see what those folks are talking about. <laughs> what Patreon page? What live chat? <laughs> right. Well, what's kind of strange about this is I didn't know the Wolves could actually do this. Like, I kind of just thought that, like, if you're in the AHL, because the AHL really well all hockey leagues that survive for a long time work hard at doing what they do which is surviving right so the AHL really made itself the number two league in the world after the NHL there's some arguments that it's the continental hockey league just saying the KHL would probably bitch about that but that's kind of hit or miss because I think if you're a step out of the NHL you you want to be in the AHL because you're geographically closer and then you're also easier to watch, you know, easier to scout. 
I just find it strange that an AHL team could just say, oh, yeah, we're not going to have an affiliate next year. And we know that kind of sucks because it's like musical chairs where you have the same amount of chairs as you have participants, right? You have 32 NHL teams. You have 32 AHL teams. So everybody just matches up. Everybody's got a partner for the dance. Or it's like two slices of bread, right? Making a sandwich. I could go on with all these metaphors, but you see what I'm getting at. There are some AHL teams that share NHL teams. I think the Checkers are doing that for a little while down in Charlotte. I could be wrong on that. But there's been a few where it's like Team X is like, you know, the AHL team for both this team and this other team right here. And they get to have players for both farm teams on the team playing together. But player A can't go to just either NHL team. They have a contract with that NHL team. They go there. It's not like the other NHL team can just pick and choose who they want, who's playing good. And they want to call up. So there have been those in the past. Pretty recently, the Milwaukee Admirals had to shut down for a year. So the Chicago Wolves had Nashville Predators players and they had Carolina Hurricanes players. And their team photo is ridiculous because it had like four goalies and like 36 skaters. It was just a ridiculous photo. So all of man, they were basically two teams. You have that sometimes where you have an NHL team that doesn't have an AHL affiliate. So what they're going to do is they'll send like five guys to this team and four guys to that team and maybe a few guys in the ECHL, although that's not really ideal. You know what I mean? So that has happened in the past. And I remember this happened a lot in like the mid 2000s, like 2007, 2008, there were like teams that would like pop up for a season and then they'd be gone because they just weren't soluble. And I'm just like, how come the AHL isn't doing everything it can? Just like Gary Bettman tries really hard to keep the Phoenix Coyotes afloat or Arizona Coyotes or whatever they're calling themselves now, does anything he can to keep that team going If I was the president of the AHL, I'd be like, hey, we really need to have 32 teams with NHL affiliates, and we only have 30 teams right now, or we only have 31 teams right now, or okay, we have 32 teams, but one doesn't want to play nice. The vast majority of AHL teams, much like, you know, farm leagues and baseball, is eventually you're you're trying to feed the top dog. They need young players to get stronger, get sharper, and then feed that beast at the top no matter what. If your team is like, you know, top of the league and you've got three amazing players and all of a sudden there just happens to be a catastrophe with your main team, your NHL team, and they call those three players up and you sink like a rock, too bad. That is pretty much what your job is. I know that sucks for the fan bases because I grew up uh, in Durham with the Durham Bulls, for example, in baseball. And even though they were a fairly low single A ball club at the time, the Braves would just constantly yank players up. And when Richmond, you know, gets players called up to Atlanta, then Richmond will call players up from Greenville. Then Greenville calls players up from Durham and Durham's got nobody. And we go from first in the Carolina league to the bottom. Right. And that, that sucked. And I grew up hating the Braves for it, but I understand. I see that a lot, especially with minor league hockey fans, where they'll be like, oh, this was the year we were supposed to win the Calder Cup, but then the stupid parent team called up six guys to be black aces and do nothing, you know, like called up our our best six players to basically sit in the press box while, you know, we're either trying to stay in the playoffs or trying to win a championship or whatever. So you, you do see that grumbling 
from the minor league teams. But again, like you say, you understand it. Uh, I think the the eleven year thing that I was pulling out of my brain was uh, the fact that in the past eleven years, the Chicago Wolves have had the most NHL affiliates that they've been associated with. I think that might yeah. Have been the fact yeah. that I was hearing, uh, I probably got my facts wrong initially. That's where I pulled that eleven years out of my head earlier. You should follow me on Twitter because I, I put out a tweet a couple days ago and I said since 2011 the Chicago Wolves have had more. NHL affiliates, and I've had girlfriends, and I'm not sure how I feel about either of those things. Well, let me go ahead and sign up for a Twitter account and just follow you solely, and that'll be the only thing I do with my Twitter. Yeah. I won't actually make any comments. I'm just going to stalk you. Yeah. You follow me, too. No, no, it's just Sal. Damn it. <laughs> so anyway, so... Um, I say funny things, too, though, sometimes. Here's what I'm seeing to the earlier question. This says that since the 2010-11 season, every team in the league has had an affiliate agreement. So I'm guessing the year prior to that, there would have been a team without one. But since that wasn't an expansion team year, 09-10, I have no idea who it is. So no, we would still it, need somebody to find it. No, there was just a mismatched number of teams. So you had some teams, some AHL teams are doubling up on their parent clubs. Yeah. Which um, I think I saw, I don't know if it was Elliot Friedman tweeted that out. That he didn't know what they were going to do going forward, but he thought that the most logical thing would be to team up with Panthers and go back to the checkers. You heard that at all? For the, the Hurricanes? Yeah. The Hurricanes have not made any comment about it whatsoever. I wouldn't say there was any sort of bad blood between the Canes and the, the Checkers publicly, but the Checkers were basically like, hey, we think we deserve a raise and getting more money and a little bit more out of the parent club for the great job that we've been doing, growing the kids and growing the sport in this area and, and BNT player and all that. And the Canes said, you're right. You should definitely go out there and find somebody that's going to pay you more. Because Dundon is kind of cheap when it comes to anything that's not directly inside his ice. He will spend money as long as it's within the boards of PNC Arena. When it goes outside of those boards, there's a really good chance he's, he may not spend the money on it, depending. So as much as I, it makes as much sense in the world for them to go back to Charlotte or to share the checkers or whatever... I don't know if there was anything that happened that may have caused a little bit of a, of a bruise between the two teams to make them want to jump back anytime soon. My fingers are kind of crossed, actually, that they potentially work something out and maybe get like the Norfolk Admirals because they're another fairly close city and team, uh, not terribly far away, not quite as close of a driving distance as Charlotte was, but uh, still not terribly far away. So... Norfolk Admirals is, is kind of my my hope that, that they may fall in line with them somehow. Norfolk isn't an AHL team anymore, though. Are they? Did they drop down? They're uh, ECHL. I was actually happy about that for a couple of reasons, mainly being that there's also the Milwaukee Admirals. Right. So I thought it was really annoying when the AHL and IHL merged in 2001. They took on the Milwaukee Admirals, who've been around for a long time, and they still let them be the Admirals. So you had the Milwaukee Admirals, and then you had the Norfolk Admirals. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. And then you have the Chicago Wolves, and then you have the Hartford Wolf Pack. And okay, that's different enough. But 
you know what I mean. So yeah, so uh, Norfolk isn't in the in the A anymore, but that's actually a really interesting idea. The AHL could just go to Norfolk and say like, hey, do you want back in? We could yeah. we can help you do this, and that that's not a bad idea actually. That's that'd be a really good idea for Carolina if it's not going to work out with Charlotte or Springfield or any of the the other teams that are up on their affiliation agreements. Actually, two things I want to mention. One is that Wendell Young, the GM of the Chicago Wolves, said that they want to win. They want to win championships, right? Like They just did. How many more do they want? Well, but the thing is, is that like last year they won the championship. And then this year they're struggling to make the playoffs. So what I'm saying is that like you have to win in Chicago. Like Chicago is not a minor league town. You look at how hard it is with so many other things to do in Chicago and so many other sports teams. So like winning will keep the Wolves relevant. And if they're like one of the best teams in the AHL, that makes them relevant. And if they're a bottom team because they're constantly losing their guys to the parent club, then that's going to make it harder for them to sell tickets. Well, you have to admit they've had a pretty good run the last few years. Well, yeah, they lose in 18, 19 to the checkers. Um, right. And then, what, 1920, that was COVID, cut the season yep. off. They didn't They didn't play for the playoffs. Mm-mm. Then 2021 was kind of an asterisk season because a bunch of the teams, I think three or four teams opted out because of all the restrictions and everything else. Right. Then 21-22 was the first full season back with all the teams playing. So, And then they win last year. So, yeah. I mean, well, they've 20- been a contender for a while. So yeah, the Wolves have had a good run, or maybe the other idea that I've heard batted around is that the Wolves are just bluffing, and maybe they're trying to entice another team to partner with them, but really the only bridge they haven't burned, and I love the Wolves, don't get me wrong, but when they ended their affiliate agreement with the Blues, they burned that bridge. They just said, well, we're not going to affiliate with them again. And they, they were, like, very, like, over the top in their, like, press release about this. Was it the same same president of, of the Wolves that, that made that announcement of partnering? Of yeah, I mean, it's the with... same team president, same GM, same everybody. It's been – they've been pretty stable yeah, since – Yeah, they haven't changed administration staff right. in a while. No, not since 2001. And so, you know, they kind of burned that bridge with the – with the Blues, I don't think the Canucks are interested in coming back to them. And Vegas has their own team now. Vegas so. has got their own thing going on, and so like really, the only other one they could go with would be the Panthers, which would be awesome because you'd have the cats and the dogs, and it would just be a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, but, what is it? The, the Coyotes uh, have the Roadrunners, so I mean, you, sometimes you just have to make it match. Yeah, I think it's going to be really kind of cool to see what happens. Now, the only other thing, though, is that all AHL teams, and this is including the Wolves, they have to have a, a certain number of players with a certain amount of experience. So the Wolves still have to abide by the AHL's development roster rule that 13 of 18 skaters must have 260 or fewer games of pro experience. So you can basically have five ringers, like five guys that are like on AHL only contracts. Like like when the Wolves signed Chris Chelios in his last season, you know, he was like 46 years old and had like thousands of games of NHL experience, but he needed a place to play. So the Wolves were able to 
have him on a contract just with the team until the Thrashers then signed him and, and called him up. So the Wolves can't just load their roster with X NHLers who have like hundreds of games of experience. Like when the Wolves came into existence in 94, 95, they were an independent team. They didn't have an NHL affiliation, though in later years they did get some players from the Islanders because they did have Rick DiPietro before he became famous New York Islanders goaltending great. He was a Chicago Wolves goaltending great. And oh, well, you used, you used the air quotes for great, right? Yeah, you guys weren't going to let me get away with that one. <laughs> no, 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 sir. But, Rick DiPietro is the biggest bust since Rick DiPietro. To, no, you're supposed to say it's the biggest bust since the Rick DiPietro. No, you you're spo- the, the 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 right punchline is Rick DiPietro is the biggest bust since Rick DiPietro's jaw. There you yeah. go. That's there that's that's, go. that's that's the, the point we're looking for. In the '90s, the Wolves would have like a lot of ex NHLers. Like we had Rob Brown for a season, and he just like lit up the IHL, and then he made it back to the NHL. And you had like all these guys, like Rob Brown, like Phil Bork, like Troy Murray. You'd have like a lot of guys with like a lot of experience who'd play for the Wolves. And unfortunately, we won't get that with the Wolves being independent. They're going to have to find those guys with like less than 260 games of professional experience. And that that's going to be tough because most of those guys are going to be under NHL contracts. Well, here's a question. Can they bring over players from Europe? I believe so. Get- if those, if if you know, you can get some some decent players. They're like, hey, I, I want to get a little bit better scouting. I can hop over here with the Wolves, get a contract with them, try my luck with them for a year, and then there will probably be more and different scouts coming to see me, and I may not get buried nearly as much as some of the other people in, say, the Finnish league or Swedish league or Czech league or whatever this, league they may That's be exactly, that's exactly right. And that's exactly what Wendell Young was doing. He was contacting player agents and saying, hey, if you have guys in Europe who want to play in North America, here's my number. Let's yep. talk. If I'm reading that rule correctly, it doesn't say NHL. It says professional. Yep. So those, no, no. those leagues are professional. So if they have more than four full seasons... They're on that exempt sheet, and they would count towards those five. But where would so, you draw the line, though? I mean, the Swedish elite leagues, those are professional. The KHL is professional. Beyond no, I, that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how far down you go for that. I mean, it's professional just I'm getting paid to play this? I mean. Is that all? The, is, all the, is that the only definition? I mean, technically, people yeah. people always tell me, you're a professional musician. Well, yeah, I've gotten paid to play. So, yeah, I guess I suppose you could call me that. <laughs> But then I laugh, just like I did there. All right, so Bruins set a record. Yes, yes, the the public enemy number one if you're a Hurricanes fan, the Boston Mm. Bruins. I'd I'd say they're public enemy number one if you're pretty much like 31 other teams. They're the team to be. Right, yeah, and so the Bruins have, um, as of this recording, they got their 63rd win during the regular season, they surpassed both the 95-96 Detroit Red Wings and the 2018-19 Tampa Bay Lightning. So are the Bruins going to do it this year? Because there's one or two scenarios. They're either going to shit themselves in the first round. Because they won the President's Trophy. Or they're going to just cream everybody with the exception of maybe losing a game here or there, there'll probably be a situation where they're down two games to one because it seems like every championship team 
has that low point where like, oh, remember in the first round when they were down three games to two and then they roared back and won the next two games and then they just basically swept the next two series or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but you, I mean, talk a thing about, you know, oh, you know, remember when the president's trophy winner like went all the way to the Stanley Cup? Yeah, nobody really says that very often. It, it may not be just like the first or even second round the president's trophy winner like ducks out, but like, yeah, they, for some reason, there's, there's a curse to that trophy. A lot of people talk about, you know, the Prince of Wales trophy and all those, you know, don't touch the trophy if you win it, blah, 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 if you win your division. But like, I feel like that's, that's a bigger curse is, is winning that thing. I mean, everybody figured Tampa Bay uh, was, you know, four years ago or whatever, was just going to absolutely crush everybody on the way to the Stanley Cup. 16 games, that's all they needed. And they were just going to be gone. Mm. And then Columbus just comes along and just trips them. Yeah, that was that was crazy. Yeah, and there's there's plenty of stories like that. I mean, how many capital? How many times have the Capitals won the President's Trophy just to to bow out to the Penguins or or some other uh, some other team? The popular opinion is that the team that wins the President's Trophy burns themselves out during the regular season, and then they got nothing left in the playoffs. That was definitely not the case for a lot of them, though. You can certainly say that for like say the Capitals. But those Capitals teams are obviously much more built for the regular season and not built for the playoffs. There are teams that are built for the playoffs. And the Bruins typically are built for the playoffs. Now, rewinding, if you go back to summer, beginning of the year, a lot of their main players were going to be out for surgery or they had gotten injured during the summer, things like that. And they were expected to be without a lot of their high-end players. A number of other players were going to be getting older and slower, quote-unquote. And everybody was like, oh, is this the year that the Bruins are just going to, you know, bow out because they're going to have a, a, a terrible start to the season and blah, blah, blah. And that was exactly the opposite of what happened. The Bruins came through and they, like, with the, the dregs, quote-unquote, that they put on the ice they absolutely were just crushing everybody in their wake. How about that David yeah. Pasternak being a 60-goal scorer? Is that ridiculous or what? I mean, in a good way. Well, well, you know, he did it He did it in a contract year, so, you know, God bless him. But I think that contract is also going to hamstring the team on some future contracts down the line, too. So he's getting paid. We'll see if he gets a gets a, to get another trophy there, gets a, gets a ring. I mean, just looking at their roster, it's just ridiculous. Look at their goaltending. Yeah, Allmark is their, their main goaltender? Yeah, Linus Allmark. And yeah, he's... phenomenal season. Phenomenal season. Okay, but check this out. Allmark has a 1.89 goals allowed average. His record right now is 39-6-1 as of this recording. And then look at Jeremy Swayman, the backup. He's got a yeah. 2.22 goals allowed average, and his record is 23-6-4. Most... Yep. Teams would love to have a goalie with a 2.22 goals allowed average and a record of 23-6-4. and four. Of course, a lot of it has to do with the team that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. But if he was a slouch, he wouldn't be getting that many quality starts. You know, you'd have that kind of like that Andre Vasilevsky model where he's going to play 72 games and the other guy's going to play 10 games, if that, and the end, right? And here... It's a little more of a balanced workload, you know, three to one, but it's a little more normal. Like, and so you're not over relying on one goaltender and you're not wearing out one goaltender. Like, what do you do when Vasilevsky goes down? You're kind of SOL, right? 
Yeah, riding a hot goaltender too hard. That's pretty much exactly what happened with the Hurricanes last year. They rode Anderson way too hard, got him injured in April, and then just had to rely on backups the rest of the way. And they did okay with it. But still, you don't want to push your luck on that if you don't have to. Right. I don't know that the Bruins play a different game uh, in front of one goaltender versus the other. Um, I think they just play their game and they trust that guy behind them, regardless of what pads he's wearing. They don't even worry about it. They just play their that's, game and make the make the assumption that puck is going to get stopped. That's exactly right. They don't change the game up. Nothing's different. It's game plan ahead. That's why they're a different team. Honestly, watching them play, they're probably one of the most complete teams I've ever seen, barring some hiccups on the power play and stuff like that. Offensively, defensively, goaltending puck possession everything they just watching them they they seem to dominate every time and you know back to the original question is there anybody that can beat them i think so but i think there's only probably two teams that match up against them pretty well that could derail them one of them being tampa and the other one being the hurricanes nah. so, so <laughs> that's what i think i think if a tampa series happens it won't be till the second round Right. And if a hurricane series happens, that won't be till the Eastern Conference Finals, just because of how they're matched up. So obviously a lot of big hill to climb there. But I know you, you think that's funny, but you know, the hurricanes from what I've watched and the games that I've seen them play, that's a dangerous lineup, I think. Let's see as at time of recording, let's see how they're doing. Oh, they're down two to one to Ottawa. Yeah, but Ottawa's one of those teams that you never know which Ottawa you're going to get on that. Yeah, that well, they night. also just lost to Buffalo, too. So I, they're they're not doing great down the stretch. Um, I think they're they're losing confidence. I think losing two powerhouse snipers in the season and just having terrible scoring woes. A number of guys are having season-long slumps like Tara Vian. It's not shaping up. I think that... Their record is very good, and they may end up winning the the Metro. It's going to be by a very slim margin if they do. They don't need to win the Metro. That's no, they the don't thing. need to win the Metro, but it's a whole lot better to win the Metro and have to face, say, Florida than have to, say, face the New York Rangers, who pretty much have had their number just about all season. True, but um, it could be that they're – I mean, I hate to say that teams pack it in sometimes at the end when they know they have something locked up, but – I mean, look, <laughs> I don't think I've watched the Canes, to be honest, in the last probably two, three weeks. But yeah. prior to that, very rarely did I see a team that pushes the pace like they do and like forces the play to you. Like always, they're just constantly coming at oh, you, yeah, coming yeah. at you, coming at you. And, uh, you know, solid forechecking. I mean, they, they, they play a game that it's. That's how you beat Boston. They're, 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 they're two. They're two major. Hang on. I know we're talking about the Bruins, uh, or we're supposed to be talking about the Bruins, but uh, just bear with me. One, uh, when we, we never know who's going to show up for as the goalie in net. Frederick Anderson has been hot and cold this season, and we were really hoping for him to be hot. He clearly started the uh, season with an injury. He should not have been coming in to even start. And there were some great stretches throughout the middle part of the season, for sure. But both Anderson and Ronta have just been, like, they'll pitch a shutout one night, and the next night they'll let in four or five goals that should have been easy stops. You That's never what the know. Penguins what have dealt with all year. Oh, sure. With their yeah. goalies. 
Um, I mean, I'm not saying that they're unique in that fashion. I'm just saying this is what we are currently dealing with. That is very different from, say, last year when it was a very, very solid tandem between those two goalies as well. Plus Coochie coming up and he was he's kind of the same way. He's been hot and cold when he's come up from Chicago to come play with us. You know, he's had some great, great, great games. And then there's other games where it's just like, it was, you know, is this kid really ready to, to take over the reins next year? We don't know. That's what I was going to ask. Is Kachekov no faith in him? Uh, oh, I won't say there's no faith in him. It's just whether or not he's really ready. Yeah, and that's, that. that's, a, that's a big question. It's like, okay, you know, he's the only goalie that the team has signed for next year. Both Ranta and Anderson are uh, UHS, UFAs come next season. And there's probably a good chance that they'll re-sign one of them. But do you sign Anderson and keep Kuchekov as the backup? Or do you make him the starter and you sign Ranta as the backup? It's a big question that they're going to have to answer. Ranta too many double letters in his name. Get rid of him. Well, Ranta's had a decent season with the Hurricanes. He's uh, Yeah, I have more played. faith in him right now going into the postseason. Yeah, I mean... and. Kochetkov right now has a record of 15-5-3 with the Chicago Wolves. I mean, I've watched him a few times. He's gone to a few Wolves games this year. Well, he scored a goal. <laughs> yeah, he scored a freaking goalie goal. I know he got a shutout with the Canes, but it was like a 19-save shutout. But it was still cool to see him get a shutout. And then I know I went to, uh, two weeks back, I went to a Wolves game against the Rockford Ice Hogs, the Blackhawks affiliate. Talk about a complicated relationship because you have people booing the Ice Hogs, even though they would cheer for them if they were on the Blackhawks. But when they're in the Ice Hogs playing against the Wolves, they boo them. It's like they said on Seinfeld, you're cheering for laundry. Cheering for laundry. So Kochetkov got a shutout. Oh, this is so funny, though. I got to tell you about this. So I go to this game and the Rockford Ice Hogs. Okay, remember the Blackhawks are a terrible team. So it stands to reason that their minor league team is also terrible. So in this game that they played against the Wolves, they got zero shots on net the first period. They didn't get one shot on Kochetkov in the first period. He it was all out there with a lawn chair and a newspaper and just, you know, have pretty, a good that Pretty much. And then finally after the second and third period, then, like, I think it was, like, around halfway through the second, they got their first shot on net. And then by the third, they got 19 shots on goal, but they didn't score. And so Kochetkov gets the shutout. He didn't get player of the game. He wasn't even, like, second star, third star. And I guess if you only save 19 shots in, like, a game, that I guess that's not worthy of a, sh- a star of the game. But whatever. He got the shutout. It was it was a good game. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if he's ready to be an NHL goaltender. I think with goalies, you don't want to rush them. I mean, you look at like Jordan Bennington and Jake Allen and other two Chicago Wolves where the team, in that case, the St. Louis Blues, took their time in developing them where they'd call them up for a game or two and then send them back down. And they wanted them to get really good. Let them marinate for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for goalies, that sweet spot is 25 to 35. Oh, speaking of goalies, though, we got to give a shout out to Jet Alexander, who played 70 seconds for the Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday. So just to give the 411 on this. So Jet Alexander plays for the local university in Toronto. Does he drive a Zamboni? 
He does not drive to Zamboni. He's an e-bug. That we know of. He's an emergency backup goaltender under contract with the Leafs. I think he's part of the ice crew also. But they signed him to an amateur tryout. Because usually with an e-bug, it's kind of like, okay, our goalie's hurt. We're putting in the backup. And okay, e-bug, we're relocating you from the press box to the locker room. Get halfway dressed. But basically what happened was is they needed a goalie. They couldn't pull up a goalie from the minor leagues for cap reasons. So they basically said, all right, you're going to be the backup tonight. And here's the contract. So sign the one-day contract and sit on the bench. And then the Leafs, they pulled Ilya Samsonov with a minute 10 left. They were up 7-1 to against the Canadiens. So they let this kid have his minute of glory. This is minute and 10 of glory. So that's cool. He didn't make any saves. Doesn't have any stats other than a minute 10. But still cool to see an e-bug. Well, technically not an e-bug, but an e-bug for all intents and purposes. Uh, it's it's kind of a yearly occurrence at this point. I feel like it's kind of a yearly occurrence where at least one dog gets his day in the spotlight to be a backup goalie here and there. So We've had, what, three, four this year? Has it been that many? Yeah, it's been a few. This guy in particular, Jed Alexander, he was also an e-bug for the Avalanche a couple months back, I think back in December. But he was only on the bench for one period. And then the Avs, their goalie made it in time for the second period. They're like backup goalie. So then that was it. So he didn't actually get to play. He just suited up for one period. So, uh, yeah, you got to wonder about that. I don't want to say goalies get hurt more now than they did then. But it seems like they're getting hurt a lot. Like you said, it feels like we we get an e-bug like once a year. I don't hate it. I like it. But... You just got to wonder, yeah, like, at what It's point... fodder that we can all sit here and talk about. Yeah. So, otherwise, yeah. we have nothing well, to talk okay. about. So, then, then the, I guess the question is, you know, is what's changed with the goalie situation? I know uh, a lot of... If you look at, at the top goalies in the league and the up-and-coming ones, you see a lot of Russian goalies. They don't have that same system that a lot of North American goalies are, where it's like, you know, if the play is doing this, you do that. If... They're coming at you like this. You do this. The Russian goalies, their premise is just stop the puck. No matter what it is, you just get there, get in front of the puck, and you make sure it does not get past you. That's been working. And I'm wondering if a lot of other goalies, if that system that they've been learning in North America has been causing more and more injuries to them that has been creating this vacuum for the e-bugs to fill. So what I've heard from people who know more about goaltending than, than I do is that you got two things going on. One is that pretty much every goalie is a butterfly goalie. They drop through their knees, they flare their legs out to the side, the butterfly style. Yeah, they're, they're all going to be walking with a walker and, and a, a, you know, a new hip by the time they're 40. Right. So what it is is that they're dropping to their knees and they're moving their legs and they're assuming this position that is not natural for the human body. So then they're having hip problems because of that. They're having knee injuries, hip injuries, leg injuries because of this over-reliance on the butterfly position. And then the other thing is is that you have teams saying, hey, we got this great goalie. We're going to play him for 70 games. So you got these guys doing this motion that's not natural and then they're playing a lot of games that's got to be what it is, or that's got to be a big part of it. I mean, you're, you're getting more of these injuries because of the butterfly and because of the excessive workload. You guys know Stan Fischler, right? The hockey writer? Of course. Yeah. He writes for Hockey News now, I think. Yes. Um, 
he had an article a couple years ago about this very same thing that I remember reading. And it was essentially, and I'm probably misquoting it, but I'm pretty sure it was the butterfly is an unmitigated disaster and it needs to change. Mm -hmm. And essentially he went through talking about all of the injuries that goalies were getting. And keep in mind, this is a few years ago, but all these goalie injuries that were happening because they're dropping into these positions that contort their bodies in these weird positions that hurt their groin and hurt their hips and hurt their hamstrings and hurt their legs and ultimately like destroy their knees as we saw with Ben Bishop. So yeah, it happens a lot more often and there's so many goaltenders that utilize that. Goalies that don't use butterfly are probably few and far between anymore. That's true. On the other end of it, the scoring, everybody knows that that goalie is going to try and drop immediately. As long as you can elevate the puck, you've got a much better chance of scoring. That's not really a secret or anything like that. Um, they try to elevate the puck. Sometimes it gets above the goal or whatever. But um, if you're trying to skate the thing past, unless you can get past the five hole, there's probably not a good chance you're going to get it in. So um, there you got a lot more puck elevation, a lot more slap shots coming up high, and scoring's up too. So. It's easy to be the armchair GM or whatever uh, and say the system is broken, but unless you've got a real answer for it, they're going to keep on demanding that goalies keep on doing the butterfly uh, and wrecking themselves at an early age. Yeah, I mean, how many stand-up goaltenders are there anymore? Zero. I was thinking, like, we need a return to the stand-up goaltender, and I'm trying to think of a goalie who is a stand-up goaltender, but then... My mind keeps going back to like the 1940s, you know, when I mean, they were all stand-up goaltenders and nobody wore masks because nobody lifted the puck higher than ankle level. Ken Dryden's probably the last one I can think of. Well, if you were Ken Dryden, you really have no reason to fall down. I mean, you're just, you just, you just fill the net as is, you know? I mean, if you're standing up, like you said, Jim, like you can do the cut the angle technique if the stand-up or basically defend against the top shelf shots, but... Players are so good, so fast, so talented now. They're going to pick you out like that. Yeah. And it's it's going to be quick. And they're going to see how okay. oh, you're favoring here, you're favoring there. They know what to do. So just like you're training, they're training too. They read, they watch the film. They see what your tendencies are. So right. I don't know. Right. I don't think yeah, there's a right, right or wrong answer. There's a book for every goalie out there on what their weakness is. Whether it's glove side high, five hole, poor blocker movement, there's video coaches that look at all that and they will fill the team in and be like, hey, if this is the goal that's starting tonight, shoot here. This is where they're the weakest. Go for that. Oh, absolutely. It's just, you know, that's, I mean, it's part of the game. And that's, it, it's plus not an unfair all, advantage or anything. They all have it. Plus all of us sitting in our living rooms as we're watching the game, we're also saying that. <laughs> we all know it too. Like, Do you not see this? I could see this and I'm not even out there. You know, and another thing, too, I don't know how much this might have uh, any effect on that, but, I mean, one thing that kind of irritates me about hockey is that, like, I don't have a statistic for this, so I'm just going to make one up. 90% of all goals are just redirects. It's so dumb. I mean, I get it. Scoring goals is scoring goals, but it's like the defenseman shoots the puck high and hard, and then the guy who's a foot from the goalie just gets a piece of it with the shaft of his stick and just changes trajectory enough just to go in the opposite direction or whatever. And that's like every goal now is just basically a trick shot in pool. You realize how hard that is to pull off, right? 
it's not just like everybody slam dunking in the NBA. Like this is a team effort of a puck flying at like a hundred miles an hour through the air, like a knuckleball. And you've right. got to get a little piece of it and hope to God that it goes the right way and misses the goalie. That is hard. No, it takes it, a but, ton of hand-eye coordination just right. to get it to hit the stick. I know, but what's, what's cooler? Like when the player skates down the wing, cuts in, fakes out the goalie and roofs it on the backhand or somebody just getting a piece of it and redirecting it. If it's my team, I don't care as long as it goes in. Exactly. Yeah, That's me. So redirect or not, I don't care. If it gets if the, the win, that's all that matters. If it's the other team scoring on my team, I would prefer the redirect. Yeah. Because at least then I can't blame my goalie as hard. If I see the redirect on the other team, I'm like, he kicked it. Or <laughs> high stick, or it was above the crossbar, or something. Yeah. Well, I guess the thing I'm getting at is that if a lot of goals are like that, and you're a goalie and a shot's coming, you're probably going to go down anyway because you're tracking where you think the puck is going, but also by flaring your legs out and having your arms lower. I don't want to say you're filling more net, but like a lot of the redirect shots, I'm sure somebody can prove me wrong on this, but just out of my recollection, a lot of the redirect tip ins and whatnot, those all go low. They don't go high over the goalie's shoulder. They usually tend to go low under their elbow or above their outstretched leg or whatever, right? So I think I would want to fall down too and try to just cover as much of like the lower two-thirds of the net as possible. Sal, you are a very well-connected guy within the industry. I think that maybe your summer homework should be trying to get a professional goalie at some level to come on to the show and you can do an interview with them about a lot of these questions. Maybe I'll do that. That sounds fun. Okay, so I want to talk just for a minute about this Upper Deck Evolution because we are a hockey and hockey card podcast. However, Evo. E- Evo. Sure. E-V-O, yeah. The, the logo for it looks like it's from like an anime or something like Robotech or something, but Evo, Evolution. So I remember on Friday, Upper Extra Deck... Extra virgin olive oil. <laughs> on Friday, Upper Deck emailed me and they said, hey, we got a big announcement about evolution and here's the link. It doesn't work yet, but look for the press release here. So like throughout the day on Friday, I was checking the link, checking the link, checking the link. There was nothing there, just stuff about game-dated moments, but nothing about Evo, evolution. And then finally, I checked it today just because I'm like, well, they didn't get that press release out on Friday, so... I guess they saved it till Monday, and it just basically said, attention collectors, we are excited to announce the newest addition to the Upper Deck ecosystem with the upcoming launch of Evolution TM. Okay, ecosystem just makes me want to, like, throw up a little bit. Okay, sa- save your throw up for the just end. Wait. Ah, it's coming. Right. It's coming. So, Grand finale. Just Evolution TM is a new platform that introduces a new category of officially licensed authentic digital collectibles also TM. Upper Deck is bringing its passion for quality, expertise, and innovation and unparalleled designs to tokenized digital trading cards and collectibles to create the most sought-after, officially licensed digital collectibles from the best in sports and entertainment. Keep an eye out for the planned launch of Evolution on 4-12-2023 at 9 a.m. PST. And then they just basically say, your EPAC login works for Evolution, and if you have any questions, go to the EPAC Contact Us page. I got a note today that said the site is going down this morning for four to five hours for maintenance. So I imagine they're 
doing some stuff on the back end to make this usable come Thursday. Yeah. Whatever that is. Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. When they and pulled down APAC, I just thought they were doing everybody a favor. <laughs> yeah, well, I like you. Well, uh, yeah. I like you had to swallow that. <laughs> I was going to say, I, no, I I like EPAC, but I also, there are things about EPAC that I don't like. Like, I was going to say I like EPAC, but really what I like are the cheap inserts migrating to ComC is what I like. Yeah. That's what I like. Well, if you recall... Quite a while ago, we brought up Evo TM probably the better part of a year and a half ago. When I talked with their president for my hockey card comeback article for the Hockey News, and I interviewed him in like October or November of 2021. And so they this had was, made that announcement in October. So, no, this is so when yeah, he told me. Time frame. When he told me that we're going to launch this thing called Evolution. And he right. told me that in like October of 2021 or no- November of 2021. So it was like over a year ago. And originally in the press release, if you recall, it said that it's set to launch this winter. Mm-hmm. We didn't know when in the winter. So we had kind of like a six month grace period. Well, now here we are in 2023, almost done with the NHL season. And here we go. All right, Jim, have at it. All right, you may commence vomiting. Uh, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, He's speechless. He's speechless. <laughs> it really, really is. He's got nothing to say. I guess you could say it, it's a an evolution of like the EPAC in the worst sort of way. Like it takes it in the direction that nobody asked for. Well, it's NFTs. Yes. But they're not calling it NFTs. No. I mean, the original press release had NFT all over it. Mm-hmm. What they have posted now says nothing about that because they've essentially well, trademarked they've their own, their own term. Trademarked term. Yeah. What was the term again? Authentic digital collectible trademark. Yeah. So they've got their own trademark to that. So are we going to call them ADCs instead or what? But it's, it's essentially the same thing. But the thing is... Other than a few one-offs here and there, we haven't really had a huge push towards the NFT side in hockey. I mean, yeah, there were a couple things here and there. A couple athletes signed deals with some groups that did it. Um, You know, Tyler Sagan comes to mind. Um, I think one of the Hughes brothers did too, I think. Didn't Matthew Kachuk do uh, NFT for charity? yeah, it might have been Matt also did something. And then the goalie on the Canucks, Thatcher Demko. Okay, now not calling it an NFT and giving it their own name gives them carte blanche to do whatever they want with it later. If they say, oh, you know, what you get is going to be super duper rare, and they don't necessarily say this is a one-off thing and you own this like an NFT, that means later they can dump more of those images or whatever out then when you know two people find out that they have the same thing and say wait a minute you know ours aren't unique well we never said it was an nft right because nft implies this whole blockchain thing and implies this whole one of one thing or one of a kind thing even though you can just screen grab it and email it to everybody but yeah i see what you're saying so by using their own trademark terminology 
for this digital asset, they're not tied to any preconceived notions of what a digital asset should be. I like that, Jim. That is that is a very astute observation. Well, so less top skate. shot and more top skate. There you go. Oh, ho, 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 ho. man, well, both you guys are on fire tonight. Remember, I wrote an article for you a number of years ago about how I had a one-of-one uh, hockey card. That was what it was stamped on it. And they used they, they used the, the same image for another card. And the other cards all looked exactly like that one-of-one, one, but they all had stamps of like something out of 25 or something like that. And it really just took the shine off of having an actual one of one that was unique because it really wasn't unique outside of that one stupid little metallic stamp on there. That was the only differentiator. It wasn't like a different colored foil or a different colored border or something like that. Mm, yeah, there wasn't much to it at all. It was almost exactly the same card. Is it an upper deck card? Uh, it's probably Panini if I had to take a guess, but... I was going to say, because in the yeah, game... That sounds that. like they're kind of crap. Yeah, but in the game did that when they did when they had to dump everything at the end. Oh with yeah, the, the buybacks with all their, with their, all their yeah. vault stuff, because there was so much buyback and everything was marked one of one. You just didn't know what version it was. It right. was red, it was or it was blue, or it was from, purple, or yeah. it was green, or whatever. And there might have been seven different of the same exact card, but it was all stamped with different color one of one, just based off of how frequent those particular stamps were included in the boxes which had nothing to do with the card it had more to do with the stamp so that's why a lot of people don't like the one of one vault versions versus the regular cards because it's just a whole bunch of confusion do you want me to use this this now segue over to uh, uh talking about allure real quick sure so yeah, uh, Allure is is uh, I guess one of the newer products to to be come out, and I've enjoyed Allure in the past. They're quirky and they're strange. They're definitely taking the quirky and strange to an all new level. But one of the interesting things that I I saw was that they have rainbow parallel cards where there's like six cards that are all the same, yet the colors blend across Roy G. Biv across one another, and they want you to try and collect all six of those cards just so you can see all the colors go across, even though it's the exact same image of the player on each of the cards. They're all different pull ratios, too. Yeah, um, yeah, which makes it even harder. Now, so if, like, like the red-orange ones, those are the most common. And mm -hmm. then there's orange-yellow, and then yellow-green, green-blue, blue-violet. Right. So... And, and they each one gets together, but it's the same picture. Why could yeah. they not have gotten, say, six images from an action shot where a player, say, is taking, you know, taking a slap shot, and you get all of those different images, and you can see them side by side with each other, and then you can see the action of the shot taking place. That would be amazing. That would be worth actually chasing the set, but yeah, just. I mean Getting it's the way rainbow. more higher level thinking. I'll go buy a box of Lucky Charms to get my rainbow. Well, no, okay, and I can answer that question. I assume it's because you pay per image, and so if you make thirty different sets in a year, you might say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to use the same photo of him on." Opeachy, but for the retro, we're going to use the same photo and just crop it so it's closer. 
And then we might also use this photo on SP Authentic, but we'll just cut him out from the background, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of times that's why you see that because yeah, they're, the hell out of the image. they're used. Yeah, they're they're paying per image, right? So yeah. it's the same with the with their normal if they do the normal parallels where it's the base parallel, the rainbow parallel, red, green, blue, orange. It's always the same, pretty much the same photo. Okay, so since we're talking about Allure now. Let me just give a little bit of the facts about this set. So we're actually talking about the 2122 Allure hockey card set, even though, hello, it's 2023. But hey, you know what? Everything's a year late, except for somehow Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2 Extended still seems to come out kind of during the season. Yeah, um, we're not that late on this because it only came out a month ago. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's a 2122 product, but it, it's coming out in 2023. So it's 120 bucks per box. For a hobby box, you get eight packs, Ugh. eight packs in a box, eight yeah. cards per pack. So you get about <laughs> 64 cards. Well, you get exactly 64 cards. You get one autograph per box. You're actually guaranteed an autograph per box. You get eight rookies per box, one per pack. There are 100 base cards, and then there are 50 of the one per pack rookies. So the set is 150 cards. And there are some insert sets such as Control Room, Quartz, Hustle Hit and Never Quit, and 16-Bit, which uses like old-school video game artwork. Unfortunately, when I opened a box of Allure yesterday, I did not get a 16-Bit insert, and that's too bad because... I believe those are at least one a case. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're... those are Easter eggs, aren't they? I like them. I mean, they're not perfect. They're maybe a little too cartoony. They look a little more 8-bit-ish. They look more like when you played your old school Nintendo, but then they had like a close-up of the character in like a cutaway scene, whereas like 16-bit, think of like NHL 94, had like the nicer like portraits of like the players when they were like showing the starting lineups. But I love creative stuff like that. I mean, that looks like something that would have been in Top Skate, where you go, whoa, this is really creative. Why isn't it a real card? Oh, wait, it is a real card. It's just a real hard to get card. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like it's one of those cards is like, wow, this is this is kind of fun and horrifying. I, I think like the first card that I saw that was Brent Burns. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy crap, this is this is kind of terrifying. And I saw a few others as well. And I'm like, it, it's an interesting concept that they're going for. But I don't look at that as being like a quality enough card to make this worth something that is legitimately going for two to four hundred dollars on eBay right now. Oh, yeah. Like I look at this, I'm like, why? They're crazy priced because they're, hard, well, I mean, they're, they're hard to hit. Hard. Yeah, yeah, obviously. They're really hard. I mean, if you're a player collector, yeah, you're going to. And there's a hot new thing on the market, too. So keep in mind, I bring this up again. This product's been out on the street for a month. So you still have the, it's new, it's awesome, nobody else has it. Yeah. Pay me $7,000 for this. Six months from now, would we be having the same conversation? Yeah, it's, they're still going to be higher, but a lot more of them will have surfaced by then. Now and you'll start to find them more towards the $100 range. Yeah, and you'll see the prices come down. So it's that newness thing. If you can hold off and you don't have to go for it right away, definitely don't. You don't have to be the... The guy that has everything brand new when it comes out. Just to give a little bit of background for our listeners, Allure trading cards are printed on a chromium cardstock. They're like OPC chrome. 
Oh, sorry. Opeachy Platinum. I was thinking of Topps Chrome. <laughs> Remember the old Topps Chrome hockey sets? And there's obviously Topps Chrome baseball. And Topps Chrome, Chrome was great back in the day. They were, oh. those were, those were beautiful cards. Yeah. There's Topps Chrome on skate. Yeah. So they're printed on thicker stock. They're shiny. And then there are rainbow versions, which is what Jim was referring to when he was talking about the different rainbows. Well, first of all, you have black rainbow, which is just the card, but with black borders. But then it has like a shimmery rainbow sheen to it, like when you hit it in the light. But and it then seems like it should have, if it's going to be called black rainbow, it should have like Ronnie James Dio just like screaming in the background. Right. Just going for a high note. <laughs> so like to capitalize on black Sabbath and rainbow. That's right. Just combine yeah. them, black rainbow. Ah. ah, and then and then uh, you have like orange slice parallels, which have an orange background, but they're also die cut. So hence the name Ooh. orange slice. Those are just clipped in the corners, right? Correct, just in the That's corners. And then you have like inserts that are called rainbow that are like twice as thick, and then they have the full spectrum of the rainbow in the background behind the player, and they're pretty freaking cool cards. And I look at this and I go. Man, I wish the whole Allure set was like that. And then you have like different, like you have red-orange is like one, and then you have green-blue, and then you have yellow-green, and I guess there's like six six of them, and if you line them all up, then they kind of have like the gradient background. But yeah, it would be cool if it was like six different pictures of the players skating or something so that it looked like it was like a continuation of like a comic panel or something. But regardless, the idea is is that the backgrounds connect and these are some of the parallels and then there's the blue line parallel which is just blue bordered and then it is numbered out of 35 it's got like a pixely background i forget there's like a word for these prison foil just to be on topic here so when i got the box of it i looked and i said wow the box has got a rainbow background and now i'm wondering if nhl teams are going to feel wary about carrying this product in their store because it has a rainbow packaging just kidding i know the hurricanes don't carry any hockey cards at all anymore so no i'm kidding i'm talking about how like know, all these teams now don't want to wear the pride jerseys because it has a rainbow logo right so but i think that's to sell the fact that allure hockey cards are colorful or at least the parallels are yeah. colorful something that kind of caught my eye there's sort of like an odd cut shape in the background of the cards or it looks mm -hmm. like there is what is that shape supposed to be? It's very asymmetrical. I don't have any idea. I didn't know it was supposed to be something. It was I, just... I don't, know. I don't know either. And some of them have different shapes. It was... Uh... You mean in the back of the base card? Just the yeah, the back picture? of the base card. Yeah. There was a goalie card that I saw that, like, the shape of the back made it look like he had butterfly wings on him or something. But most of them have, like, this bizarre triangle. And I, I just... I don't... I, I kind of wonder what the design concept that they were trying to go for with that shape was just to be different okay cool neat i i don't hate it it's just kind of a, a curiosity i think i know what you're talking about i'm picturing it in my mind and i feel like it looked like an odd shaped nhl logo yeah that like, one right like there. it was distorted and bent mm -hmm. yeah that's the one yeah you see like a little bit of the crowd behind them a little bit of the stadium or something some of the ice it's an odd window the Question butterfly I... one I think you were talking about was on those bread basket inserts. Oh, yeah, yeah I forgot yeah, about bread yeah. baskets. Ugh. So that's just goalies? Yep. Mm -hmm. Getting hit in the bread basket. It's where you don't want to shoot the puck. Oh, I got it right in the bread basket, right? And, and smothers for the save. You know, one thing that I 
want to ask, and I asked this last year, I don't know what set we were talking about, but I always ask this. I jokingly refer to it as metal fatigue because we got OPG Platinum, we got Allure, and then we got Skybox Metal Universe, right? So we have all these cards to kind of have the same gimmick, although not really because Skybox Metal Universe cards use that 90s technology and so those cards are more prone to chipping and damage which is why they're harder to grade whereas these are like chromium cards these are pretty sturdy i think next to the clear cut cards these are probably the next sturdiest hockey card you know what i mean because they're thick they have like a nice heft to them you know they're printed on thicker stock i look at this and i look at opg platinum and i go well pick one because they're kind of the same set just different designs of the same thing So then I wonder, like, what's the relevance of having two sets like this? Price point. Is it, though? Because it's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, your base, you got your inserts, and you got... Yeah, but I think after a certain amount of time, Opeachy Platinum tends to carry a higher price point. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the price difference per box? Platinum hasn't come out yet. Not only that... The one autograph per box on Platinum is an on-card autograph, and I think Allure is stickers. Yeah, let me look at my autograph right here. Yeah, who did you get as your auto? Parker Kelly, Ottawa Senators. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) I hear Jim retching over there again. (laughs) No, I was just, I was like, I wonder if he scored against the Canes. (laughs) Probably had a career game against the Canes. Trying to think of like the last good autograph I got was probably, uh, I think I got a Jason Robertson last year. That's not bad. No, I know. But then, you know, then I get Parker Kelly and then I get like, you know, I just opened a box of Synergy. We'll save that for another podcast. But I got an autographed card of a dude named Riley Damiani, D-A-M-I-A-N-I. And I had to like look up this guy. And I'm just like, oh, okay, he's at the Texas Stars of the AHL. Great. And I get it. You're not always going to pull a Crosby, an Ovechkin, a McDavid, a Malkin, a Kane, a Taves. You know, you're going to pull Parker Kelly. And I get it. And, you know, Parker Kelly, you know, look at all the people who snubbed their nose to Tage Thompson five years ago. Like, ugh, I don't want this card. Right? Now they're tripping over themselves trying to get Tage Thompson cards, right? Like, how many cheap Tage Thompson autographs could you have had two years ago? All of them. Well, that's why it, it pays to, to, you know, try and get the rookies when you can. Uh, and, that, and, and you know, there's plenty of people that do do that. Somebody that was really a Bruins fan, they saw an article that I wrote, you know, a box break that I did, and they were like, hey, I really like that player. I'm a big Bruins fan. What would you consider trading? And kind of went back and forth and he's like well i've got this cool looking goalie card by a guy named Vajaleski. like i'll trade you that and i was like you know what this guy really likes this player i'm gonna let it go to a home i don't know who this Vajaleski guy is either and then i sold it for 200 dollars last summer so things work out sometimes you know players develop do you remember what card you traded debrusque maybe jake debrusque yeah that's nice he got a card that he wanted you got a card that you wanted for a little while and then you were able to card. It was a great looking card. Then you were able to, you know, sell it and then get other cards that Mm -hmm. probably wanted more. And that's how it should work. Yeah. So anyway, I like the alert set. I tend to repeat myself a lot when I review card sets. The one complaint I always have is like, I love the parallels. I wish the parallels was the base set. 
right? Yeah. Like I look at this card and I go, okay, it's a chrome card, but it's got a silver background. But then I look at like one of the rainbow inserts and I go, this is like a way nicer card. Like I would rather have this card get seven of these per pack with like nice, colorful, shiny backgrounds instead of like this card. That's like this Yeah, but card. then they would charge you $400 for the box. I guess. That's the green blue one, right? So those yes. should be numbered out of like two ninety nine. I mean, I, I look at oh, this box. yeah, actually. I look yes. at what you're getting out of Allure and I'm, I'm like, this is a really nice box. I would enjoy opening packs of this, but the price point's just a little bit too high. If it was 80 bucks, yeah, I, I would jump on that. I, I think that'd be great. And, you know, at some point, there will probably be a sale that I come across. Somebody's looking to dump some and I might buy a box and, and see what I get. The allure of being able to get a, you know, some some pretty looking cards and you know you're going to get an autograph regardless of who it may be is kind of nice. But yeah, at that price point, it's just a little bit steep at this point in time. You can sit there and say, well, you know, the, the, the everything's expensive right now, blah, blah, blah. It's like, sure. Yeah, everything's expensive. So is is life. And I'd rather spend that on food than hockey cards when it comes down to it. But if I'm talking a $40 difference of what I'd like to pay versus what they're charging, I can do a lot with $40. Well, another thing about Allure, too, is if it's a, something you just want to try out to see what it's like, Allure's always had a retail version. And That's true The well. retail blasters have always been less. However, I noticed that most of the retail blasters I've seen this year for 21 22 are about 40 bucks. Oof. That's so really high. No more 20 24 even $30. Yeah. These are 40 bucks, and it's a five-pack blaster. That's strange because I bought a lot of retail boxes of Skybox Metal, and those were 30 bucks. Seems like blasters are 20 or 30 so now that they're getting to 40 yeah, that, that's not like a fun impulse buy at Target. Yeah. My like, Target, they were marked thirty nine ninety five. so if that was the wrong price, I'm sorry for reporting it, but that's what they were marked. No, I believe you, but I think it's like, look, you're at the store... You either have to justify it to yourself or you have to justify it to your significant other. And it's easier. It's sometimes easier, both. And sometimes both. And it's easier to do that with a $20 blaster box, right? I say blaster boxes are the empty calories of card collecting, right? Because it feels good at the time, but then you're hungry like half an hour later. You're unfulfilled. Then you're like, oh, why'd I do that? Why'd I go for the Snickers bar when I could have just waited it and had like a piece of delicious chocolate cake, which would have also given me that sugar high and been filling and been way more satisfying than Snickers, which doesn't satisfy. All of those things like, like Chinese food. and advertising. The thing is, is like I've been at Target and I looked at like blaster boxes and then I'd whip out my phone and then see how much a hobby box is. And it'd be like, you know, for like the cost of, Four blaster boxes, which I was probably going to buy. I could get a hobby box. This is back when OPG was still 32 packs per box. And I was just like, I should just get the hobby box because I'm going to get way more of the marquee rookies and way more of the other things. And I have an odds of an autograph and stuff like that. And you don't get any of that with the blaster boxes. So even like SP Authentic, you saw what they did with SP Authentic blaster boxes, right? No, what did they do? Well, it's not SP Authentic. It's just called SP. Yeah. It's oh, never, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, never yeah. been SPA. It's always just SP. It's just SP. It's, it's the its same, own retail version of it. It's the same set, but instead of having an SPA logo in the corner, 
It's just an SP logo, which basically looks like an SP authentic logo minus the word authentic. It looks like they stamped it SP, but then forgot to put authentic on it as well. I've cobbled together sets from hobby boxes and retail boxes. And you can't do that with like SP authentic because SP and SP authentic are two different sets that look the same, but just have different logos, which is annoying. So, and they have different parallels and all that kind of stuff too. I think like for 40 bucks for a blaster of allure, I'd probably just suck it up and then get the hobby box. Well, again, it depends because I was the opposite with FLIR metal, a couple, excuse me, got to put money in the FLIR jar, skybox metal, got to put a dollar in the FLIR jar. Yeah. Skybox metal universe. When it came out for 2021, I was all in on the blaster boxes because I'm like, I'm not going to pay $200 for 15 packs, you know, and I, and I bought a bunch of blasters at 30. So well, it depends on what your plan is for someone like you, Sally, you, you love putting together sets. Some people want to just try and gather their gather teams or maybe a few other players that they want. In which case, you know, it's fine to go get and get that sugar rush and it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, just get the blaster box or retail box or whatever, spend a little bit less money. And then I'm going to go onto eBay or whatever card collecting site and then pay a lot less money to go ahead and at least just get the common cards of the team that I follow or the players that I really enjoy and just go ahead and get that. There are plenty of those collectors out there as well. It depends on what your goal is. Well, no, and I think the way you collect cards is way more sane than how I collect cards. (laughs) You're kind of like the casual smoker that has the one cigarette after dinner and is good. And I'm like the chain smoker who's like, okay, I have the complete 2021 set. Now I need to have the complete 2022 set. I need to have the complete 2223 set. Ah, Tim's even worse than me because I'll just say, screw it. I'm going to go on eBay and I'm just going to buy the complete. OPG set with all the short prints for $140. And Tim's like, that's sacrilege. That's blasphemy. I'm going to spend $800 on hobby boxes and still be 40 cards short. And then try and sell the rest of it on eBay. Sell? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. No, it just <laughs> trades to people. It's like, here, you like canes. Here, take them, please. That's mostly what I do. I mean, yeah. I've got enough crap that. I have no use for it. And if it sits in a box for a year or two years and I forget I have it, what do I care? As long as it's not, you know, you're not tripping over it. Yeah. I mean, it's got its own place that it's out of the way, so I don't have to deal with that. But that's why I'm in no rush to get rid of it. I see some people, they have a 10 foot by 10 foot table that that's their only collecting space. And it's stacked with cards up to their ceilings. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's like taking over your life. If I had that, which I do, but I have a room for it. And your untimely demise, someone is going to get a hold of your collection and they're going to be like, wow, this guy collected all of this. Yeah. And yes, I, trust right me. now I've got to sort of sort through it and, and find This conversation has been had numerous times. You know, my kids want nothing to do with it. And I'm, I know my wife's not going to want to have anything to do with it. I've even said, Sal, you're going to become the beneficiary to this and have to make the decisions on what happens to it because you're going to be the only one that knows some semblance of what's here. If a dump truck gets me in the middle of the road or something when I'm out working at night and, you know, I'm gone, like, I'm pretty sure my wife is going to be calling Sal first and be like, hey, you want these? Take them, please. <laughs> 
I don't want to inherit your collections, guys. Right, not not that haunted collection. I will so, haunt my collection. So now you're the beneficiary of two. So right. But I don't have as much as you do, Tim. So uh, guys, any last thoughts on Allure? It looks good, but I'm gonna wait till I see them on sale. I think before I wade into those waters potentially. Well, all right then. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please try to write us a review on Apple iTunes or Spotify. Follow us on social media. Tim and I are on Twitter. Tim's at the Real DFG. I'm at Puck Junk. Jim is on Instagram at Flying V Twenty One Twelve. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.